Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Pulp Kitchen. If you're listening to this, then you have obviously heard the fact that we're going to be reviewing popular new film Rye Lane on today's episode, mm-hmm. as well as talking about Mulholland Drive, which James has only just seen for the first time, fitting in a blind spot. So James, let's get on and talk about some films. Rye Lane, I'm a little bit late to. I feel like it came out a couple of weeks ago, maybe when I was away, and then uh, my mum and my sister were like, you got to see Rye Lane. I loved it. I loved mm. Rye Lane. You've got to see Rye Lane. It's so good. So interesting. But what is this Rye Lane, James? Tell me. Well, Rye Lane is a modern London set rom-com. Okay. It very much feels like a new palette, a new framing, a new voice to this genre. Great. Um, do you remember a few months ago, we went through all of the uh, tests, like the Bechdel tests. Yes, And we, yes. we listed through all of that's them. That's right. Um, another reason I wanted to see it is that this film passes the DuVernay test. Yes, we did. That's the, that's the other one we talked about, yeah. Which um, uh, very, even fewer films pass this test mm-hmm. than the shockingly low films pass the Bechdel test. And the DuVernay test requires that a story features characters of color who have rich lives rather than existing only in relation to the white characters. People have talked about having uh, characters of color and specifically black characters that are not also in a film where the subject of their character is related to their race. Yes. It's not about them being oppressed or about racism itself. Creed 3 was actually another example of this, where the characters are depicted to be at like, the top of their field yeah. in boxing and in music, and it wasn't like relevant the fact that they were black. And I just think there are very few films mm. that do this. And uh, how many films can we name in the rom-com, drama speci- uh, rom-com genre specifically that have that? I can't off the top of my no. head think of any. So um, this film starts with our main character who is crying in a toilet in Peckham. This, right. this film's set in Peckham, like Riley in Peckham, right? And um, he's just been dumped. And in the cubicle next to him is a girl who hears him sobbing and uh, they end up talking outside of the toilet by happenstance, and they end up spending the entire day together walking mm. around a location and talking about life and art and their goals. Mm, and what triggers. does this mm. remind you <laughs> of? <laughs> this reminds me. <laughs> so if you swapped out Vienna and the glossy, glowy, beautiful shot, my mind. Uh, and you trade that for visually completely different, like distorted anamorphic, but for the grungy southern, mm. south, south London, Peckham Rye streets, you've got Rye Lane. Right, uh, so. It also owes a lot to like the Fleabag, Peep Show, Shaun of the Dead. Um, and what this is, is it's a rom-com and it's it's very funny and it's this guy who's just basically been dumped and this girl ends up pretending, he, he says he's going to go and meet his ex who's cheated on him with his best friend from school. And she says, you know what, I'll go with you to meet him. And she ends up like lying and pretending to be his new girlfriend and they kind of, they kind of bond over this. Um, what I think I, I have certain problems with it, but I'll start with what I really like about this film. It's got a really strong sense of place. This is a love letter to South London in the same way that films like um, Notting Hill were a love letter to that area of London, mm. to be honest, the whole of London. Yeah. You can even say like films like not um, like The Holiday or A Love Letter to like cozy English cottages and yes. Los Angeles. Yes. Although on. I was just going to say, funny enough, bringing about Notting Hill though. Notting Hill famously a very sanitised, whitewashed version of Notting Hill, which actually is a quite a yes, uh, oh, you absolutely. Know, only a very small slither of Notting Hill is. Oh yeah, that, that. it's actually more multicultural than absolutely. Yeah, and um, this film doesn't look like any film you've seen, right. and I think coming after this, this film will be known for its distinct look and feel and no other film can be said to have 
done what this film has done with its aesthetic. It is shot on an ultra-wide, what must be like a 2x anamorphic stretch. There is loads of barrel distortion and vignetting mm. and chromatic aberration. It is, it is what I would think is creating this painterly effect where the edges of the frame seem to sort of like warp and disappear and you have your, your subjects in the center of it. And it's weird and there's lots of distortion and fraying, but it was a perfect way to capture the grungy yet slightly beautiful South London. There's an amazing scene where they're walking through the streets of Peckham. And do you know like those shop fronts with like a little bit of everything in the window? Mm -hmm. There's like ads and there's yeah. products and there's laundry detergent and loo roll. Yeah. And instead of looking at that and thinking it's messy and distracted, they've gone, hang on, there's like 32 different colors here. And it shoots it in the sun and it, and it washes the James, entire you're screen. describing my Instagram feed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> diagonal <laughs> shadows and your, your lens is nowhere near white. No, 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 no. Like but it sounds white. like it's on my street. Yeah. And um, you know, I feel like every time they went in to do a scene, which was a couple walking and talking or holding each other on a motorbike ride or a dinner scene, they stopped and went, stop. How can we shoot this in a way that no one has ever done mm. before? And for that, I really rate it. The Almost 70% of the film, I'd say, is shot in this ultra-wide uh, perspective, which gives it a really interesting look and feel. So it really earns its close-ups. And when those moments come, I really know why you've done it and they hit. Mm. Here's the problem. I feel like the writing lets it down slightly. There's every, every few moments I thought, oh God, this scene's great. And I love these characters and I love the way they're layering mm. the dialogue. And then another scene will come and I'll go, oh, that, that felt forced, felt mm. a bit student. Um, and I'd look at the blocking and I'd, I'd go, people don't stand in a scene that way, mm. you've lost me a little bit. It does lots of um, quipping and cutting, cutting to these elevated scenes where they're like telling each other the story in a theater and right. it cuts back to the moment, but the other characters there watching them do it. And they're like, what, you did that? Yeah, I did that. And they're like, it's, it's playful, it's fun. Like Shaun of the Dead death, right. like with the whips okay. and, and, the, and the flair. And you know, it, it creates its own visual language that I think it's chaotic, but in its own rule set mm. is consistent and because it, it feels like it's developed its own rules. The ending has a, re even though it's, it's, it's distinct and, and different, the ending builds to a really great sequence mm. that really warms your heart. Good. And I think if you're feeling a little bit depressed and you're coming out of a bit of a COVID lull, mm. this is a really nice, wonderful, uplifting, heartwarming story. Mm. A little bit inconsistent. That's all I'd say. We have an email about Rylane yes. from Michael, who says, Hi guys, hope you're both well. Michael from Glasgow again. Although that should now be Michael in London. Oi, and then he, he puts the exclamation mark three times in the brackets. Nice. Like, London. After having just moved down with my girlfriend. Congratulations, Michael. Welcome nice. to the big city. Having a great time so far. And I must confess, it is quite funny watching the brains of London locals almost visually whirring when initially trying to process a Glaswegian accent. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe I'll see you around and say hi. I'll speak slowly, I promise. That, yeah, please do. I have the voice of Kevin Bridges. <laughs> just wanted to get in touch about a film I watched recently and loved. Rye Lane. Nice. I thought it was a really fun little film that has such a love for the city of London. Yep. Some of the locations and cinematography in it are so vibrant and colourful. It shows us how stunning a city London is, which was lovely to see as a new resident. But the film itself is brilliant, almost choreographed like a musical at the times. Yep. And the two leads, who I must confess I knew, knew nothing of beforehand, are terrific. Yeah. Had a great big smile on my face throughout the whole thing. And on top of it all, it's only 80 minutes long. James, you lied. 80 minutes. Is it 80 minutes? Put it on now. I mean, we can get it <laughs> yeah. easy. 
hour 22. Oh, 82. my God. I mean, again, I said I'd, I'd watch a paint dry <laughs> for an hour and 22. I should have just said, so Rylane, it's 82 minutes. Yeah. Done. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's only 80 minutes long. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. What could, more could you want? Can't recommend yeah. it enough if you're looking for a creative, playful, kind of Richard's courtesy rom-com. Michael, thank you. If anyone else has seen Rye Lane, please let us know at hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just um, on that, on the rom-com. To th- uh, I, actually have, I actually have quite a few thoughts. It's really weird because I didn't know until this afternoon that you were going to review this, but I have had the rom-com in my head uh, this weekend. First of all, when you just say about a British set, a London set rom-com, I will also give a shout out. I said this in my underrated movies episode, but Man Up with Simon Pegg and Lake Bell is actually a perfectly charming, but like really, really nice rom-com. I stand by that. And I've like caught bits of that on TV since I've seen it. And I've thought, actually, this this is really nice. It's much better than it looks. The second, if the thing is about rom-com, it's been in my mind because this weekend we re-watched, I mean, I'd seen it once when I was a kid, but have you ever seen As Good As It Gets? Yeah. Right, so with Jack Nicholson, right? And when was the last time you saw that? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, right. So basically almost you almost feel like you haven't seen it, yeah. right? Right. Because we re-watched that and I was- Helen Hunt. Exactly, yeah. very good, isn't it? Won an Oscar for it. I was actually astonished at how much of a history piece that is because of how dated it is. And it's dated in so many ways. I mean, sorry to bring up as good as it gets if, you, if you're not familiar with this, you haven't seen it in such a long time. But just to remind people, it came out in 1997. It's a rom-com from James L. Brooks who had already been had success from uh, t- uh, Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News, which I really recommend actually, which is a good one. Uh, and he made As Good As It Gets. And, you know, it's got Jack Nicholson living in this, uh, you know, this very, a very, very wealthy apartment block where Jack Nicholson lives yeah. there as this sort of o- obsessive compulsive writer. Uh, uh, and uh, his neighbour is Greg Kinnear, who is a um, uh, gay artist and dog owner, who yeah. um, uh, Jan uh, d- dislikes. He's, he's got an art dealer friend by played by Kubi Gooding Jr. And part of Jan Nicholson's routine every day is he goes to a diner, and who serves him there but Helen Hunt. And what's wrong with Helen Hunt? Well, her son is sick, although that's not really the problem, because what the film likes to tell you is that the real problem is that she hasn't got a man in her life, yeah. okay? Anyway, um, we watched it. And I just want to recap about why it's dated. It's dated because, well, Jan Nicholson's character is racist, misogynist, uh, homophobic. But lovable. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I'm not saying you can't have a character that is all those things. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not saying that a film can't take a character like that and attempt to reconcile and redeem them. 
But the film does not challenge Jack Nicholson on any of those opinions. It's like, oh, I'll yeah, be crazy. It, yeah, it's like, so there's a bit where he goes yeah. to the diner at the beginning and he just says, there are Jews at my table. I want them out. Like, and like, you just commit an awful bit of anti-Semitism yeah. that is never mentioned <laughs> and never picked up on again. No one ever challenges him on it. The waiting staff don't challenge it. Like, it's just not, and I'm like, it's kind of like, <laughs> he's, he's so obsessive compulsive. <laughs> yeah. He's anti-Semitic. Oh, what a guy. Yeah. And then, and then, but the film like continues and, and like just wants to show that he's got layers underneath. But I'm like, no, 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 that's very dating. You can't let that stuff pass. It's you can bit, have it. Doesn't feel earned. You could. Yeah. You, you've got. You've just got to engage in those things a different way. Even his obsessive compulsive disorder, I think, would just be dealt with differently. Anyway, um, what I also found though, I said this on Letterbox in a sort of like much more condensed way, but what I found really dates about it is a film that is that was an era in which a film not only did a rom com make loads of, um, could be made for a high budget. And obviously, like the death of the rom com is a very over talked about thing. Yeah. So people are familiar about it. But that is a film that was made in an era when rom coms could be high budget and two and a half hours long. Yeah. And could absolutely stroll stroll through its plot, meander, be a, it was a nice time. I was just vague happy to watch here, it. vague yeah. there. And um, I was just thinking, I was like, this is just like almost like this is the, how, how is it two and a half hours? Excuse yeah, me. and it's almost oh. like decadent in its in its you know relaxedness um but having said that i there, it's also shot in that fantastic 90s soft mm. dewy dreamlike warm orange hues um yeah. like it looked it's shot in that way that everything looks like it had a it was, it, everything's covered in honey yeah yeah you know, that kind of album warm, cover autumnal almost tones and um because you were talking about the visual language of rye lane mm. With as good as it gets, it's you also see it with Liar Liar and and, and Mrs. Doubtfire and yeah. and I was like, can someone make this into like an open world game, like an like an abstract niche open world game that I could walk around in? Because I could just be in that world. live in this honey glaze. It's it's, mm. it's very similar. Notting to Hill too, like and, glowy and beautiful twinkly well, London, totally. and also that uh, you know the, you know the first like five seasons of Friends where it's still shot on film and yeah. it's like you know that kind of same like. Just all the colors, all the ninety color, nineties colors pop, and it's like the nineties were that point where like everything was still shot on film. Where a decade before everything started to turn over to digital, but it was also at the highest definition of what film could be. Right? Yeah. It's not like you know, like the, then the noughties happened and everything became digital. But it wasn't yeah. until like the twenty tens, I think things got really sharp and clear. Yeah. Um, so sorry, massive tangent. But what I was just thinking is that. I, 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 the rom com as a place, like as, mm. as a time and the visual, I, I could spend a lot of time in. You go on. No, see, I'm not surprised that they. I'm not saying they they, they shot it like this as as a point has had to make a point within this genre. I think almost you you can't just shoot this like standard mid shot glowy yeah. coverage of a scene. As much as we've like grown up on it and we love it, and in so many ways we long for that. It's not worked when, when people have tried to do it. Yeah. So this feeling really distinct, feeling like a more accurate representation of London, even though it is like, you know, a little bit like Peckham doesn't look that nice <laughs> when you're walking through it. Like it's cool. And I, I think it like it does a really good job of capturing Peckham. Yeah. I'm like, it felt refreshing to, to see a city in this way. Yeah. It felt like a more modern way to see a city. Mm. It was a new way to look at it. And I don't, I think I, I, I rate it so much more for being so bold. Like it experiments with like, like camera height and how it looks up at yeah. people. And it's like, yeah, you, 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 get, you make, give me a reason to keep looking at your film the whole way through. Just another thing as well about rom-coms and, and about, because people have been saying, not only are rom-coms dying, we've said it, where are the rom-coms now? Yeah, where are they going? The they're ones. mainly on streaming and stuff. And I realized that one of the most successful rom-coms of all time 
has done what most genres have done. Uh, sorry, one of the most successful rom-coms of recent years is what most other genres have been is on TV, mm. and it's Emily in Paris. Right, that's yeah. what I realised by, by that film is uh, that that series is so successful. I know mm. we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but that that series will come back to my mind occasionally because which I is think like glowy and pretty it, it, and it colourful. It fulfills every single rom-com genre trait, which is that everyone. Uh, um, spends more money than they could ever possibly earn. Yeah. Everyone is much more wealthy than their, their, their real world jobs would afford them to be. Yeah, it's an element it's, of fantasy it's, in there. It's an element of fantasy. It's a glossy, clean, wish-fulfillment world. No politics. And and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, Emily in Paris actually has like a, a rom-com story. And it just clicked with me the other day. I was like, oh, that's that's the biggest rom-com of, of recent years. Mm. It just happens to be told over three seasons. That's yeah. e- Even the rom-com genre has evolved to be a streaming uh, uh, series now. Tangential, but that's where I got to. Anyway, Rye Lane. So I'll try and check that out though, because I do like the the sound of the colours, and you know, it's, it's very really interesting. Could to look you at. give me a London pun on it? So it's not before sunrise. It's what sunrise? Oh, straight away before sunrise. Straight oh, great! Straight very away good. with it. James, we love a good list online. Mm. We love a good listicle. A good listicle. So the Hollywood Reporter famous trade magazine and if you're into film you want to read more about what's happening in the industry the hollywood reporter and variety are like two of the oldest most Mm -hmm. uh, prestigious uh, american-led trade magazines that you can follow and i recommend following them we we love the hollywood reporter roundtables they do yeah they're great they've posted a list of the uh that all the critics of the hollywood reporter have picked the 50 best films of the 21st century so far to get those aren't they uh, and they've said, why now? Why now? Why we did this? Well, century, lots of okay. different reasons. I mean, there's... Um, why now? Why now? We need ad revenue on our website. <laughs> would you like to know the top 10? Yeah, let's do it. I would just say, do you know what film isn't in here and it's a crime? Is There Will Be Blood. Okay. How, is it close to the top 10? No, it's not in the top 100. Not, whoa. No, sorry, it's not in the top 50. I mean, again, this is just like yeah. another reminder that yeah. these lists are lists. I know. Like, films are, there are so many great films that are all trying to achieve completely different things. Exactly. Do not be upset if your favorite film is not but on there. But we did, we, you know, we did the Sight and Sound poll, you know, we re- read through that. Was so that of all time? That was of all time. Yeah. This is just of this century. So, James. Um, do you want me to ask if you can think what films are in here? How many of the films that were in the top 10 of the Hollywood Reporter one? No, Variety one. Uh, no, of the Science Sound one. Science Sound one. Well, uh, one, two slash three. Okay, Vertigo. Uh, no, James, 21st century. <laughs> it's a film that came out since 2000. <laughs> Parasite. Uh, no, not in the top 10, no. Um, ooh. Top 10, okay. I'm just going to give it to you. Yeah, give it to me. Number 10, Get Out. Oh, yeah, okay, right. That film really does well on these charts, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm not saying, it is, uh, we think we've already discussed this. It's great, but... Yeah. Uh, number nine is a, uh, uh, I believe, a French film called Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days in 2007. Yeah, I've heard 24 of that. breathless hours in the lives of a college student seeking an illegal abortion and the dorm mate selflessly helping her near... Helping her near the end of communist Ceausescu dictatorship. So maybe that is a Romanian film. Okay. Um, I will have to... I've, I have heard of that, but not enough. So I will okay. try and check that out. That came out in 2007. Number eight, uh, In the Mood for Love, which uh, is the yeah. Wong Kar Wai film, which was also in the uh, top 10 of the <coughs> Science Sound one. Yeah. I mentioned that uh, recently because we... Uh, 
in reference to everything everywhere all at once uh that film is yes. visually referenced a lot in the sequence where uh evelyn is an actress number seven brokeback mountain love wow yeah big love L- so, love i mean a surprise though i don't I, know why i'm not i think i'm surprised because it doesn't get included in top tens enough but no. it is a fucking it's great fantastic, film yeah. so i'm glad it's getting its fair dues yeah coming to london as a play with Lucas oh. Hedges and the guy who plays Riff in West Side Story, the new one, which you haven't seen, I've just realised. Nice. Number six, Spirited Away from 2001. Okay. Number five, and a film we're going to talk about in a second, Mulholland Drive yep. from 2001, David Lynch's film. That was also in the top just ten. Just making the list in uh, 2001, scraping in. Yeah, well, exactly. And also that is that was also in the um, Sight and Sounds top ten as well. Mm-hmm. Number four, interesting, Zodiac. David Fincher's Whoa. film. Again, like, I'm surprised. A good film, but like, I like Zodiac. Yeah. I think I need to rewatch that, but it's number four yeah. in the top ones this century. Uh, number three is a Agnes Varda film called The Gleaners and I, which I'm not familiar with at no. all. That was made in 2000. Number two, again, like, I don't know. People do rate this, and I, and I, and I do love this film. It's Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Number two. That film is really highly rated. Yeah, really highly Hold rated. on, it's The Tree of Life number one. No, the, the, number, the film that is number one is a film that you and I have never discussed, you and I have not seen, but I do own it on Criterion because it is widely regarded as one of the best films of this century and also the past few decades, yeah. which is why I own it on Criterion and haven't watched it yet. That is a film called Yee Yee, which is a, uh, came out in 2000. It's a um, Taiwanese film made by Edward Yang, and he died like shortly after making this or only a few years after making it. And it's regarded as just absolutely fantastic. So I have to check that out. I, maybe we'll have to do like a bonus clip when I actually finally go and watch it on Criterion. You've got it on your shelf. Got it on my you shelf. haven't seen I know, it. I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> but James, going back to one of the, in this list, we, mm. we love talking about blind spots. Mulholland Drive is a film that I've seen. Yep. We've spoken a bit about because people have emailed in have. and I, I saw it on my own. I watched it during lockdown. I... Mm, I, I struggle with it. it it's so highly rated yeah I, and, and like there's a guy at work who's just like lives and breathes it some, some people are complete zealots about my, yeah. my holland drive he's just like oh, oh lynch said it was gonna be this i was like yeah i know but and i always have that constant conundrum which is like did i miss something or is this the greatest film of all time what what, what is it um but james, and i will answer no. <laughs> you've now seen it for the first time yourself yeah so first of all i want to know who did you watch it with where did you watch it so it's so, an so interesting story. So I did watch it in my flat, but I got inspired to watch it because I saw advertised uh, screenings to go and see it. Oh. And I lo- I saw it was, there were two on offer and I was really gutted because I couldn't make them. Mm. And it's, but, you know, I, was, I, I had time over the weekend and I sort of was thinking, I want to watch something, you know, I want to spin the kaleidoscope of my pile of shame and have yeah. the wheel land on something. But I also didn't want it to be too random. And yeah, I saw that it was being screened. And I was like, oh, that'd be such a good one to go see in cinema, obviously. And I just couldn't make them. And I thought, why don't I just watch it anyway? Bonus content for the show. Get super absorbed, headphones on. The cry- I managed to get see a version, which was the Criterion Collection remastered wow. version of it. So um, it was sort of beautifully uh, rendered for me in that form. And uh, yeah, it's it's a film which I've has been on my list for a while. A film I feel like has been a, a big a blank spot for me. It always felt from its trailer and just 
little snippets that I've seen to it, very obtuse and hard to grasp. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there are many good reasons to like, well, today's the day you've got to watch Mulholland yes. Drive. Yeah. But I know how highly regarded people consider it. It often frequents these types of lists, yes. often at the top, often in the top 10. And um, I just felt like I really wanted to do it. It's two and a half hours long, clear my schedule, mm. sit me down, immerse me in this. It, for me, like the best sound experience I can do is headphones on with mm. the big over ears and the noise cancelling. And um, what an interesting puzzle of a film. Do you want um, to try and explain the plot to well, people? Well, here's, here's the, th I, I will explain the plot. And I think <laughs> I, I almost got slightly more relieved three quarters of the way through mm. when I realized that I don't need to understand what this film is trying to do in my, especially in my first sitting. Yes. I almost was like, this is okay that this is washing over me and I'm not going to understand it. And I think part of its charm and the reason, reason why it eludes so many people is that it is a puzzle mm. and the way in which you try and personally unpack it is forms part of its genius, mm. right? Um, I mean, look, it's an interesting story of how it got made. It was intended as a TV spin-off from mm. Twin Peaks and Lynch shot a pilot episode for it in 1999, fell out with the TV network over the tone and the content and how it was never really going to be right, which I can totally see. And then separately got greenlit to adapt it to a feature. And sorry to interrupt at that point, but I believe that the scene you see in the beginning with Robert Forster and the cop, that was the, originally filmed for the TV. Oh, that was originally Millie part Steiner. of the, the, the No, 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 no. With, um, oh, yes. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, the two policemen. That was originally part of the TV series. That, Which I can totally see makes sense. Because yeah. it never comes back into it again. Yes, yeah. He never, he never had enough money to make it all in one. And there's mm. funding things. And I think that that kind of struggle to get it made has been part of why it's been so successful. Mm. And probably part of why it sort of unwinds and is seemingly so amorphous. Um, yeah, it, it is. If you didn't know anything about uh, Mulholland Drive, I'd describe it as an absurdist puzzle. It is like a surreal dreamscape mm. in the form of a Hollywood noir, Yes, right? Yeah, you that. have um, a character played by Naomi Watts who's given the best performance I've seen her in Yes, anything, I agree. Yeah. Playing one version of a character called Betty Elms who turns up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, naive into Los Angeles because she wants to fancy herself as an actress. And she has uh, been able to stay at an apartment that her aunt owns and oh she's I'm just realizing how little I've remembered of the actual plot because it's yeah. so hard I'm not going I can only go yeah. so far into the plot Sorry, um, no 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 it's not at all um, it is hard the more you try and think about it the more it's just like yeah. completely d disintegrates in front of you uh, she goes to stay at her aunt's place who's let her stay there meanwhile a character called who we don't know the name of played by Laura Haring uh, we see her in a car crash in one of the opening scenes of the film. And she comes out of this concussed state and she cannot remember who she is, what her name is, anything about her. And she stumbles into this apartment that Betty is staying in. And when Betty turns up at the apartment, there's a woman in her shower who she assumes is a friend of her aunt's, but she doesn't. She realizes that this woman who decides to call herself Rita based off a film poster that she mm. sees on the wall, um, doesn't know who she is, and so they decide to basically, like in a fun sort of adventure kind of way, let's try and find out who you are. They open her, her purse to see what's inside. She's like, maybe you've got a wallet in there with a card, some ID. And inside is just wads of cash. Mm. Um, later on in the film, uh, these actors play different versions of not quite themselves, of other people that very much sort of mirror and don't mirror mm. the versions that we're presented with. Um, 
as I said, it's a puzzle, and I think how you choose to unpick how these almost two separate dimensions of Los Angeles and LA yeah. present themselves to you, I think a part of what Mulholland Drive is all about, when I think people are discussing it years after the film's come out, it is the debate of how you decide to unpick it, whether or not you actually should. I, I, do, I think there would be a way to map this out on paper in a sort of memento Nolan-esque style and try and draw all the dots. I don't necessarily think that that's mm. what you, what you should no do um I, I think it's to me it's about two different realities of los angeles and how they're so many of the shots are done at the top of these hills where you look out into LA and you see all the bright twinkling lights. Mm. And it kind of was a reflection to me of how LA and cities like Hollywood and the film industry can be received in so many different ways. And it's in, it's in so many ways, it's a wonderful articulation of how much we are uh, affected by the subconscious washing of Hollywood and movies and what our expectations are of life and how we can attribute all of these emotions to how millions of other people feel. But really, all of these little twinkling lights are experiencing something mm. completely different to how you ever will. And the film just basically... You know, it starts off, what I described as a plot is sort of as much as it will ever give yeah. you. And it sort of completely unwinds and disintegrates. Mm. What scenes don't really ever seem to follow on from each other. Yeah. Um, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. I, oh, wow. I really okay. I really did enjoy it. I found it really difficult. I was, as I said, I was relieved three quarters of the way through and I decided it's mm. okay that I don't understand mm. this. The score I absolutely fell in love with. Mm. The scene at Minky's Diner. Best jump scare. It's one of the yeah, most, and and the fact that it's a play on uh, you. I think you could just watch this. Would you scene about to say that? Sorry, one of the best. No, scenes. it's it's a fantastic jump scare. It's terrifying, yeah. and you could. Yeah, I really do believe you could watch that. Uh, if you just you can't be asked to see the film right now, you could just go and watch that scene, and I'm sure it will sell you. It's a horror scene where the person is describing something terrible that happened to them in a dream, and he's describing it in the exact location where it happened, and he's talking about something that is about to happen and then they go and do it yeah. it subverts your entire expectation yeah. of what a horror film should do by like revealing that, oh, the scare that thing is just around that corner just around the corner around the back okay mm. let's go and walk and it, the thing is there it does jump out and it's just horrifying and it's just um, th there's always what I thought was, was very good about it it always has this constant sense of danger throughout the entire film mm. and you never really know why it's there, what's causing it. Mm. And um, it, 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 it is dreamlike and it's a nightmare. I, I almost think it's a bit about how uh, your, your nightmares, whether or not you remember them or not, are constantly shaping your conscious thought. And like, I, I, do you know what? I, I, what I the think, cowboy. Do you know what? The cowboy's an interesting one. I've got no idea, no idea. Do you know what's really, really bad is that you, you, you should never, I think it'd be terrible to only see this film once and do yeah. any job in trying to explain it. Yeah. Yet here I am. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's not a film that you should see once and try to explain. It is a film that demands to be seen twice, which we should add to our list of films which need to be seen twice. Yeah. Like Prestige and well, yeah, some I, others. I mean, any, any film, I've always thought the, the, the second viewing is the key one, actually. If you, are, if you really yeah. want to know what you really think about a film, if you really want to get the, the inch on a film, it's, it's the second viewing. Hearing you talk about it is kind of making me... My whole... like. Conversation is unwinding. Trying to even no, but like I'm, I'm glad you had a good time with it because I yeah. just found it frustrating, and I almost wish I wish I'd seen it with people. Yeah, because I wish someone had either said to me, "Just let, just relax and let go," or just so I could have bounced around. But I, you know, I watched it on my own, just throwing it on. I mean, it's like you did, but I don't know. I was, I felt a bit too much like homework when I was doing it. Right, and I think maybe yeah, I, I, it, it just didn't sit with my brain. And you know, I know people who have been moved by it, like moved to tears, and I was just like. 
What? I, I think I think maybe you're right. Maybe you just can't take this on a first viewing. You have to try it, yeah. try it again. Which I'm hearing you talk about it. I, I do want to do, but I want to do it with people. Uh, it's, it's like the way, especially the way it ends and the way the last thirty minutes presents itself to you yes. is so confusing. It, it is like you are you've been in this trance of all of these different stories, and you're now just like sort of waking up from a very deep sleep. And things are only just starting to try and explain themselves to you. But before yes, you do, you're awake. One, yeah. And you're trying to trying to make sense of it, but you don't have enough information. Or you've got too much oh, information and things aren't making oh, sense. The, the dream kind of it's like, so to me, it's all about dreams. It's all about subconscious. It's all about uh, guilt and ways in which you wish you could perceive. Like, this isn't an easy film to talk about. It's dense. And I don't think the answer is clear, which is why my thoughts are so rambled. Because there is the element of, like, not just dreams and fantasy, but, like, sexual fantasy as well. Completely. Like, and the ways in which characters are, are once that sort of dimension flips and these things You've are... You've made me want to rewatch it. You sh- I think you should. And, and the, th- the ways in which the dimensions seem to operate, not next to each other, but like existing literally through each other. Mm. It makes me think about the ways in which things, you, things that happen to you, you might not understand why it makes you feel this way, but it perfectly bleeds into how you act. And I sound so pretentious talking about it. And it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it. But this, I, I, can, I can totally tell why critics and stuffy film people love it. It mm. will forever elude you. I think you could watch it a million times and there would always be something that you miss. Yeah, but some, it'll be like a yeah. film you've never really ever fully seen. Sometimes I feel like it's a game. I feel like David Lynch has almost invented a game that has no solution. It's like he's, yeah. it's like he's drawn the lines for, for the words of Hangman. He's but he doesn't have a word. word. Yeah, or or yeah. you've got, you've got. He's told you that it's a eleven-letter word, but there's only nine spaces. Yes, exactly. And he's like, well, figure it out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got, got so many different things. Like Justin Theroux's in it. Oh, he's, he's great. Really, in it, yeah, he's really good. Um, there's a Hobbit, isn't it? With some milk in it. Is it like, like a meeting room or something? Like, oh my god, the espresso. That's it. Yeah, yeah, like the Italian mafia. Like here's the thing. Like it, it is like remembering a dream. And I think, I think, I really do admire it and it's gonna stick it has like a, a treacle-esque stickiness to it where you try and try and grab one part of it it's stuck to your hand you get your hand in it there's another bit you're thinking about something else now you just need to, maybe you just need to turn off that part of your brain and engage engage with it in a completely different part of your brain and the problem is you can almost you try to rationalize it you try to follow the plot with the way it sets up to you and and even it, i i always got the sense as soon as it started that this is being presented as not real and a fantasy yeah. and dreamlike that was always to me very clear how much, um, how much other Lynch have you seen? This is my only David Lynch. Wow, so wow. I've just like sort of jumped into what's probably I hear is his finest work. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, and Blue Velvet maybe. Um, wow. Okay. I mean, I would say I would love to hear what more people think of this, and I think it will continue to elude film uh, viewers. I would love to see it again in cinema. I think the score is fantastic. It looks beautiful. Always, it's all kind of shot fairly close up. There's very few wides to give you a sense of where you are, which I think is uh, done on purpose. But if you if you are a fan of Mulholland Drive or if you hate it, I would love to hear what you have to say regardless. So send us your thoughts mm. to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Um, is it the sixth best film of the 21st century? Who knows? A, a sight and sound I'm pretty sure put it in the top 10 so. it's a very very interesting film 